welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. Wow, you didn't hang on to the NNA as long as you normally do there. People have been really talking about how I say my name on the podcast, on the Twitters, and now I'm very self-conscious. It's a lot of fun. But before we go any further, we should acknowledge that our show is created on the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the Tecumseh-Swipmic territory within the unceded traditional lands of Swipmakulu. As settlers, we take seriously our responsibility to center and uplift Indigenous creatives and to work to build a more inclusive YA environment for all marginalized folks. And Joe, you know, when we talk about an inclusive YA environment that started mm-hmm. in 1979, <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about the topic of today's show, which is Degrassi, but I know you've got some housekeeping to do first. <laughs> I do. Yeah. So uh, we did receive a couple of emails from folks in regards to our episode on A Wrinkle in Time. And we just want to make sure that we're going to give them a little bit of justice. And also because we know that Brenna's going to talk a lot about Degrassi. So we're going to hold <laughs> off on that. But I did just want to give a quick shout out to listener Emily and listener Rochelle and our frequent write-in Andrew, because they all gave us some recommendations that we're going to add to the list. So it's always nice when people will cue us to say like, hey, have you seen that this YA adaptation is coming out or there's this new show? We really, really appreciate that. So Emily has recommended that we check out True Grit, which is a Western from several years ago, but it's a a very like prestige one. So that could be fun. I didn't know that was YA. She kind of earmarked it as I'm not sure if it is, but the protagonist is a 14 year old girl. Okay. All right. Yeah. So we will investigate Emily. And then we've got Rochelle who cued me to Unpregnant, which actually looks very clever and fun. Is it based on the book? There was a book Unpregnant that came out last year. I don't know if it is the book that came out last year, but it is definitely based on a book. Yes. Okay. It's a female buddy road comedy. Looks very amusing. Love that. I love the title. Yeah. And then Andrew cued us to a new film coming out that's called Spontaneous, which he said was darkly comedic. So he said that it was better for me. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Well, I'm excited. I love getting recommendations because we can't possibly keep on top of everything. But I think especially right now, my bandwidth has not been, like I have not been keeping on top of anything. So I'm really grateful when people flag things, especially when they tell us that they think we'll like them. (laughs) Yeah, we really, really appreciate it like right now, i.e. this end of August, early September time period, because Brenna and I both have like high stress jobs for this particular time of year. Uh So uh, it's always great to open the email and just be like, oh, YA, thank goodness. (sighs) A world I understand. (laughs) Yeah, right. Exactly. (laughs) Oh, dear. Speaking of worlds I understand, Joe... Yourself, you must believe. 
love Degrassi so much. <laughs> so this is 100% your pick because yes. I have very little experience with Degrassi, apart from knowing that it has been on forever mm-hmm. and it is a milestone of Canadian cultural identity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the show is older than us by a substantial margin. And I think for me, when I was in high school, CBC used to rerun all the episodes of Junior High and High at like four o'clock in the afternoon, like when I was in early high school. Right. And so I definitely watched them all, I don't know, solidly a decade and a half too late. And then of course, Degrassi, the next generation came out, I guess, just at the end of my high school career. So I don't know, in a weird way, it's just kind of always been part of my cultural imaginary. And um, yeah, do you want me to give kind of like a history of 40 years of Degrassi? I absolutely do. Yeah. Because as I said, I mean, I know (laughs) of it, but even things like people's fascination with certain characters and how this show has changed, because you sent me a bunch of different episodes to watch to give me kind of a cursory overview. And I find Mm -hmm. the distinction between Degrassi Jr. and Degrassi High and then this new next generation to be quite Mm -hmm. significant. Yeah, definitely. So we'll talk about sort of some of the thematic changes that happen. There's also a significant, important network change that happens, which is Mm. Degrassi in its original incarnations aired on the CBC. It was public broadcasting, and it could be pretty controversial without needing to necessarily be like sexy and sensational. Mm Mm-hmm. Next Generation ran on CTV, so on a private broadcaster, and eventually it moved around a bunch, eventually going to Much Music and then MTV, and I think the Family Channel airs reruns now. Right, okay. And it definitely has a much thicker layer of gloss, although I think some of the things that make Degrassi special still persist into the new generation. So (laughs) when we talk about Degrassi, it started off as a series of actually short after-school specials, yeah, that aired I can see that. <laughs> in, in 79, 80, 81, and 82. So there was like one a year for a while. And they were, yeah, after school specials, but very much about like normal kid issues. Like Ida makes a movie, Cookie goes to the hospital, Irene moves in about getting a step parent. So it's this idea of like these very normal kid experiences in that very early 80s after school special kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. Very relatable subjects, right? Yes, that's always been the goal of Degrassi, I think, is to try to represent actual issues that kids experience in an age-appropriate way. Mm -hmm. And so from there, they created the show The Kids of Degrassi Street, which ran from 82 to 86, and it was was elementary school kids and their problems. So it was stuff like, you get a chain letter and you get bad luck from it, (laughs) or like, your parents are getting divorced, or like... What does it really mean to tell lies, you know? Things that kept you up at night when you were nine, but they are the problems of nine-year-olds, right? Right. In 1987, some of that cast moves into a new show called Degrassi Junior High. And this is a continuation of the neighborhood and the kinds of stories being told, but all the characters have new names. It's not really like a sequel, so to speak. Okay. And so Degrassi... Junior High runs from 87 to 89, and then Degrassi High runs from 89 to 91, with a big made-for-TV movie called School's Out that aired at the end of the series run. School's Out, by the way, Joe, for your film historian tendencies, (laughs) School's Mm -hmm. Out is the first time that the F word was said on network television. 
Wow. Anywhere in the world. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> was it a declaration or like an expletive or was it pertaining to sexual activity? Do you know? It was an expletive. Yes, okay. it was an expletive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Degrassi Junior High and Degrassi High were definitely, I mean, all of these series are very low budget, right? They're average school age looking kids. They're shot in an actual school. The cast members do their own makeup. They do their own wardrobe. Mm-hmm. And they're all age appropriate. <laughs> like yes. they're the actual age of the characters that they're playing. And I think that's been part of what was interesting or special or different about Degrassi. First of all, there just wasn't that much teenage programming that dealt with really complex social issues, right? So in the series of Degrassi, we get teen pregnancy, but we get both a teen pregnancy where the girl keeps the baby and we get an abortion story mm-hmm. we have interracial romances we have divorces we have eating disorders we have suicides like all these kinds of sort of major stories that rock your world when you're a teenager and you know always but dealt with by kids who looked like normal kids and the other interesting thing about degrassi is that it's serial it's not episodic so the consequences carry through episode to episode, which for youth programming at the time was also pretty novel. Right. Yeah, I can definitely see it in some of these episodes that you sent me. Like, I think one of the things that I found fascinating was that there was often a really heavy A plot. And then there was a Mm -hmm. corresponding B plot that was a quite a bit lighter and added levity, but they were often intertwined. So like, there's an episode where a character discovers that he is HIV positive. Mm -hmm. And this is wrapped around Joey Jeremiah stupidly trying to buy a car that he can't afford. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you're just thinking, wow, these are polar opposite (laughs) subjects, but they're also very representative of what is actually happening in teenagers' lives, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you think that your problem is end-of-the-world shattering. Like, if Joey Jeremiah doesn't get this car and someone else buys it, his life is over. He will never score with girls. And meanwhile, this school bully is over here realizing that one time I had unprotected sex could mean something that will affect the rest of my life. At the time, it was treated almost like a death spell. And those are so dramatically different stakes. And yet for each of those characters, it almost is the end of the world. Yeah, I think the show does a really good job of reminding you that everyone is going through their own drama. And it might actually be a life consequential drama or it might not be. But it doesn't Mm -hmm. honestly matter if you're the one who's in the middle of it. Because it is for you. Yes. I really liked that you brought up this idea of like, he had sex one time and maybe he's HIV positive. Sort of a continual trope in Degrassi is the one time mm-hmm. and That's bad thing happens. <laughs> Your life is yeah. forever changed. But I mean, that is a reality, right? Yeah. Like, particularly in the times that they're talking about sex and procreation and prophylactics have always been a big feature of YA, but particularly at this time, sex is dangerous, right? We talked about this on our sort of historical overview of how YA has changed. Yeah, this is something I used to talk to about students when we talked about Degrassi. I taught my Canlit classes about how like depictions of teenagehood in Canadian literature, and we always looked at Degrassi because it's a really good example of this transition that happens socially, where sex goes from being something where the worst thing that happens is you get pregnant. And Mm -hmm. in a society that doesn't actually really value women's lives anyway, like, Mm -hmm. what's a pregnancy? Like, (laughs) we'll all get through it. (laughs) Yeah. 
But suddenly, in the 80s, sex becomes something that can kill you, and teen sex becomes something that can kill your kid. We look back on that era, and I think sometimes we don't understand the very real fear that the AIDS crisis engendered and the panic that it engendered and all of the wildly negative effects of that, primarily borne by the queer community. Mm -hmm. But I think what it also did was it created a kind of hysteria around teen sexuality that hadn't existed before. Oh, yeah. If you watch Grease, like Grease was made in 77 and yet set in the 50s, but like sex is like a thing and it changes something, but it's also sort of just a part of life for the teenagers in that world. Mm -hmm. By the 1980s, there was an attempt to really rewrite that narrative and Degrassi is very heavy handed with it, but it's not just (laughs) sex. Degrassi is also very heavy handed about drugs. I don't know if you watched the episode It Creeps. Yes. (laughs) Which I sent you mostly because it was a teen horror movie and I thought you'd enjoy it. (laughs) I did. It was lovely. (laughs) But you notice Shane is a character who takes acid once and he basically leaps off a bridge and gives himself severe brain damage. Mm -hmm. He's the father of Spike's baby. So that has some continuing narrative down the road. But yeah, I think there's there's a catastrophizing that happens in Degrassi that can be a lot for a lot of viewers, especially now where we tend to expect teen content to offer a little bit more nuance. Yeah. But for the time, it was just a really very different way of talking about some of these issues. That said, I think there sometimes is surprising nuance on Degrassi. Like I'm always really impressed by the abortion episodes. I don't know if you watched those two, Joe. I did. I watched everything you sent me, Brad. Oh, did you really? I oh, really yay. did. Okay, cool. And I'm not going to lie. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> I've been facetious about like, oh, Degrassi. <laughs> but I think it's just because when you grow up as a Canadian, yeah. it's one of those things that kind of follows you around. Like everyone's always like Celine Dion and Alanis Morissette <laughs> and Degrassi. And you're like, yes, we get it. <laughs> we make other art. But I mean, there's also a reason why Degrassi has become this cultural icon and a symbol of Canada. It's because this sucker got imported to like every country Mm -hmm. on the planet. Yeah. And I think the reasons why that happened is all of the things that you're talking about, which is that it's specifically Canadian, but it's also universal. And the way it talks about issues are immensely relatable, particularly for big, you know, hot button topics like abortion. I love the abortion episode of Degrassi High, and I love it because two things. I think there's a tremendous amount of nuance in the different positions that actually get shown. Like there are definitely some reactionary, unhelpful people in the conversation. Oh, for sure. But I think about the way Spike tries to explain Mm -hmm. that abortion wasn't right for her, but that doesn't mean it's not right. That is such a more complicated and just really thoughtful take on the subject than we are getting in 2020 <laughs> from a lot of people. And there's a moment at the end of that two episode arc when the sisters go into the clinic together, even though one of them is so vehemently opposed to abortion, but she can't let her sister go through it alone. Mm-hmm. Like I fully burst into tears last night at that scene oh. because it's so, uh, to me, there's just such a recognition that life isn't easy you know like when you have to make certain choices you have to square your sense of your morality against people you love and what they need minute to minute like that's big stuff yeah you know and the fact that the show ultimately chooses empathy it presents 
a variety of different arguments for and against. Like there's literally a classroom debate. A classroom debate. A little heavy handed. It's heavy handed, <laughs> but it's also incredibly effective. But it's yeah. also contrasted by the depiction of these adults who are picketing outside of the abortion mm -hmm. clinic. Let's be very clear. It's actually not an abortion clinic. It's a family health planning facility. Yes, that's and right. And it offers far more than abortion, just in case anyone has any diluted. Yeah. Basically, in case anyone doesn't know, there's a lot more to these places than just offering abortions. And that's why she goes there, right? Because she needs health care advice that yes. will be confidential. She doesn't trust her family doctor not to tell her parents, right? Yeah. And, yeah. you know, this this was a conversation that we saw literally take place this year in our episode on, mm -hmm. what was it? Never shoot. Sometimes. Yeah, rare, never Never sometime. rarely, always. Never rarely, sometimes, always. There we go. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but that was literally a case where she went to a doctor and the doctor had an agenda as opposed to acknowledging what it was that this particular girl wanted. And that's what we're not getting from these adults who are protesting. Like the one twin who is pregnant has to fight her way in. And it's like what you would expect a depiction to be. But there's an older woman who literally oh has God. a baby, like a doll, that she just says, yeah. this is your baby. Don't you love your baby? And like, there's no acknowledgement that this is a teenage girl. Like, it's no. literally just about the baby. And that's what often gets misplaced in people who are critics of abortion. Mm -hmm. And people need to be considerate that whatever that decision is made it's the person that has to decide what works best for them. And that's what I really appreciated about this two-episode arc. I just think it's so surprisingly well done. So when this episode aired in the States for the first time, they cut the end of it early. So you never really know what decision gets made, right? So in the Canadian version, we see them go into the clinic. It's very clear what's mm -hmm. happening. And also subsequent episodes will... I was going to say, how are you going to cut around that? <laughs> it's a serialized television show. <laughs> but PBS did cut around it. So they cut that episode early so that you never, it's very ambiguous what happens. Mm -hmm. And then my understanding is that they just didn't air future episodes where there's an arc in the second season of The High Years where Erica and her sister, there's this idea that because she has been pregnant once, and because she has had an abortion, she should never have sex again. Like, she should be saving herself until marriage. She can't have like a right. normal teenage kind of sexual awakening. And and she struggles against that and against her sister's expectations of her. Um, mm -hmm. Anyway, evidently, they just didn't air those episodes. Wow. And what's interesting <laughs> is in the next iteration, Degrassi, the next generation, there's an abortion, uh, an abortion arc in that series as well. And... Mm -hmm. Again, the, the protagonist chooses to have an abortion, although there is another storyline in a later season where the character decides to have the baby okay. uh, and put it up for adoption, I believe. So all, I mean, over the course of the series, I think all potential Every option avenues is explored. are pursued. <laughs> okay. And the same thing happened again. And that was like 2002, I think. And again, when it aired in the States on the N, uh, they just didn't air the ending of the episode. And for a long time, it was referred to as like the lost episode of Degrassi because all these American teenagers who watched it on the N back when that was a thing <laughs> never got to see what happens. It's just we just never mentioned the baby again. 
So if folks want to hear a little bit more about Brenna's rant about the yeah. particularly American erasure of abortion, you should hop back all the way to the very first episode where we talk about the perks of being a wallflower because we mm-hmm. were so disappointed to discover that that book, which is so candid about so many different topics, really just gets rid of that abortion subplot and doesn't address yeah. it at all. And this is just like what happens in American media. Yeah, and which, I mean, I think our listeners know I'm totally fascinated by. But it's one of the things that really makes, I think, makes Degrassi stand out. I don't know if you're aware of this, Joe, but in the in 1990, Aaron Spelling tried to buy Degrassi as a concept. Oof. Okay. Apparently, when they were in the negotiations, uh, I guess CBC was going to be coming to an end of being willing to fund or air the show. And so they were looking for other options. And my understanding from sort of TV lore is that Aaron Spelling's team was like talking about what the show was going to look like under his stewardship. And I, mean, uh, I can tell you what it would have looked like. <laughs> it's called Beverly Hills 90210. Well, that's exactly it. The creative team was like, okay, thanks, but no thanks. We're going to take a pass on this. And the next season, he came out with Beverly Hills 90210. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you can see the fingerprints all, like the DNA yeah. of Degrassi is all over Beverly Hills 90210. Yeah, it totally is, right? This desire, I think, too, about parents, right? Parents in YA. We get parents in Degrassi but only ever from the perspective of the teens. Which I love. And me too. They're not really allowed to be whole people. No. <laughs> because your parents aren't whole people to you, right? Absolutely like they just not. Aren't. No, they have, they have no other lives except for when they intersect with yours as a teenager. Yeah. Because let's be honest, as teenagers, we are often so narcissistic. That <laughs> it, and it's just because it's heightened emotions. And also the years of being a teenager are so filled with turmoil and drama. It's impossible to envision caring about the lives of adults when yes. you have so much going on yourself. Yes, exactly right. I think that's exactly true. What's interesting is that when the show shifts to the next generation, mm-hmm. which is very intentionally called that because, so Spike has a baby in junior high, baby Emma. And in 2001, when the next generation comes out, Emma is the lead character of this next iteration of the show, right? And so what you end up with in the next generation that's very different from the original Degrassi is a whole bunch of nostalgic Gen Xers watching it. (laughs) And so you've got, you know, Spike is a character and Snake is a teacher. He eventually becomes the principal. And all of these characters who you knew from Degrassi High emerge back into the next generation. And so as a result, we have a much... It peters out as the show progresses. I think the show figures out that what was great about Degrassi was that we don't care about the grown-ups. But yeah. but there's definitely a nostalgic focus in those first few seasons on the parents. Yeah. So you sent me a couple of episodes. There's a school shooting arc. Mm-hmm. And the B plot of that is Joey Jeremiah trying to deal with selling his house. And it's like, you just can't care about that storyline. <laughs> It just doesn't matter. It doesn't work because it's not about the teenagers. It only works when it's about his son feeling like he's not welcome in the house because Joey Jeremiah wants to try to keep it pristine so that he can sell it. And you're just like, "Eh, none of that matters. (laughs) Yeah, those early seasons really require a fair amount of nostalgic investment in order to care about what's happening with those adult characters who are given a lot of screen time because, you know, 
Well, they think that's what's pulling people in. Yeah. And it's funny because it's a similar mistake that we see in U.S. television. Like when they tried to do the relaunch of Beverly Hills mm-hmm. 90210, when they tried to do the relaunch of Melrose Place. And I'm, I'm a little bit hesitant to equate teen fair with like nighttime soap melodrama but there's enough melodrama built into the sudsiness of this high school drama that equates it well to things like melrose place but they always made the mistake of trying to bring back original actors as though it was a selling feature like oh we're gonna hook old viewers and then we're gonna get new viewers and it therefore appeases no one yep pretty much it and yeah, it's interesting. I think I think we love nostalgia as a culture, but nostalgia doesn't hold attention. Like that's kind of how nostalgia works. It's memory. It's not new. So it's fleeting. It's yeah. too emotive. Like it's just about chasing a high and you're like, but there's no substance here. Yeah, totally. I agree completely. But the next generation lasted 14 seasons. <laughs> I'm astounded. I didn't realize it was that popular. <laughs> Yeah, so I sent you the school shooting arc, which is fairly early in the series. And again, we still have quite a bit of attention on the adults. And then I mm-hmm. sent you an arc from season 10, where we have our a trans narrative. And that storyline, I think by then, you know, we talk about, we talk with the mom, we see the mom because she's a significant character in Adam's life. But mm-hmm. we're not interested particularly in that drama. The parents be, sort of fade back to being more normal set pieces, more normal YA set pieces than sort of characters in their own right. Yeah. What I found with the newer episodes is that they just feel, in addition to being glossier and mm-hmm. prettier, like everyone suddenly looks model beautiful because they're operating under normal TV standards where everyone has to have hair and makeup every day. I found that the episodes are just busier and therefore somehow less satisfying like they're trying to pack too much in as opposed to just letting the stories breathe yeah i think that's a really fair comment i think that we went from just structurally degrassi junior high and degrassi high have a plots and b plots degrassi next generation has a plots b plots and c plots every time yeah and you can feel that c plot you can it is intruding on the content in a and b yes I sent you two arcs that are two episodes each. It's much worse even in the standalone episodes. Okay. Because they still shoehorn in that C plot. <laughs> oh, gosh. Get <laughs> 22 minutes, right? I mean, it kind of makes sense because the cast is massive. Like, the opening credits goes on for almost two minutes because there's, like, 20 <laughs> characters. But part of it is also, like, dip in and out. Don't feel the need to give everyone screen time in every episode because it's not satisfying to only see a brief glimpse of someone in the background just to say that they were in the background. And you know what's amazing, Joe, is so the show started in 2001. It runs through until 2014 in its iteration as The Next Generation, I guess. Mm -hmm. And through all of that time, it had this wild social media aspect to it as well. So like, remember when when cultural movements had sort of self-contained social networks in the early mm-hmm. 2000s. Didn't so it had one of those. <laughs> you could have like your own locker on on the of Degrassi course. website. Yeah. <laughs> and there was message boards and stuff. Yeah. And mini-sodes. So all the way along the Next Generation run, not only do you have A plot, B plot, C plot every week, but they're also pumping out at least one mini-sode a week. Wow. Online. Well, that's almost as much work as we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> it's so much content, Joe. We just had a talk this week about how we have too much content. (laughs) 
So in 2014, it gets repackaged into something called Degrassi Next Class, which was a... It's much more like a telenovela, actually. It gets a lot soapier. The okay. episodes aired every single day for oh, no. a few seasons. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they did. And they were very soapy. And then the show finally got canceled in 2019. Wow. That is a pretty significant run. <laughs> yeah, I know. And probably most significantly, Stefan Brogan, who was Snake in Degrassi Junior High and becomes the principal in The Next Generation, or a teacher in The Next Generation, eventually the principal. He was also a uh, board trustee after he gets fired from being the principal at one point. Anyway, oh he's an executive producer. I think he makes an appearance in every single season from junior high through to next class. That's kind of fun. <laughs> Isn't it kind of fun? It's like having your dad on TV. I love a historical memory. Like, I'm not yeah. super keen on leaning into nostalgia to the point that it effaces the value of the content. But I do love that the series has always acknowledged that it has a past. Mm -hmm. So often there's a temptation to reboot something and then just get rid of everything mm -hmm. that came before. And mm -hmm. Totally. I think that's really important. I want to touch on something you said in a text message this week, okay. which you were like, holy cow, <laughs> this cast is so diverse. I mean, and this was the Degrassi Junior High high episodes. Mm -hmm. There were so many people of color. And I had to look up the year because I honestly was like, this can't be right. <laughs> yeah. And there's a whole bunch of different storylines that actually talk about race. I think Degrassi is much more known for dealing with sexuality in particular and like mental health. Mm -hmm. But issues of race and the way kids are treated and mistreated around race was also a really significant aspect of the show. Yeah, I really thought that it was interesting because it was a no fuss. Like as much mm -hmm. as some of the topics were presented as very after school special to the point where you're like, it's almost on the nose, but made for teenagers. <laughs> One of the episodes that you sent me has a guy who has decided to break up with his girlfriend after she went away for the summer and he has started dating mm -hmm. a new girl and like the first girl is white and the new girl is black and it's not like, oh, I'm gonna go and date a black girl because that's what's expected of me or oh, you know, you and mm -hmm. I don't have anything in common because we're different races. It's just like, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm tired of you because you and I don't connect anymore and she and I do. And you're like, oh, yeah. you're you're not gonna put some big heavy thing on it because that's what you think has to happen it's like no he just doesn't like this one girl and likes this new girl better it's interesting too because when racial issues do arise in the series it's often like framed as sort of a generational divide like there's an interracial romance plot where the dad is really not okay with that or there's plots with uh, an asian character who struggles with his parents sort of expectations of him and, and what he right. actually wants to do which is basically mess around like all his friends get to do mm -hmm. and so you know some of those plot lines are pretty well worn at this point right. but when we think about what that looked like in 1989 in a media landscape that was very <laughs> white yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, I think it's interesting. My understanding is that when they cast the original Degrassi Junior High, it was, I don't think you would call it what we call now as race-blind casting, but there was an intention to replicate the same diversity as an average urban high school in Toronto. 
So the idea was like, what percentage of, you know, different faces would I see in this school? And let's make it as accurate to that as possible. It's crazy to think that we don't just still use that formula when we make shows. (laughs) I mean, we're literally having this conversation the day after the Academy, like the Mm -hmm. Oscar Academy released new restrictions, aka they're basically just asking to acknowledge that there should be like women and people of color and maybe some gays working on a couple of films if you want to be considered (laughs) for best picture. And the outpouring of rage online from people saying like, don't tell me how to do art. And you're like, we're literally just telling you that you should be getting people from real life involved in this. Maybe stop asking your white friends to work on your damn stuff. Twitter done lost its mind over that. I was amazed at watching it because if you read the framework, I, I followed the link that you posted yesterday, Joe. If you read the framework, it's very like it's so that's open. It? It's so op- <laughs> it's like please have two of the following eighteen categories, and you're like, yeah, yeah I think we can have thirty percent women on this film. Not a hard get, <laughs> and no. yet, and yet, oh man. But then you look at something like Degrassi, and it's so effortless. They literally just cast based on the population demographics, and then they wrote stories for those kids. (laughs) Yeah. I don't understand. Why is it so simple here? And apparently so difficult in other circumstances. Can I tell you my favorite story about the integration between the actors and the writers on the show? You absolutely can. So Yik is one of my favorite characters. He really wanted an earring, and his parents were like, absolutely not. So he went to the writers. <laughs> he was like, oh, no. <laughs> what if we did a plot line where I have to get an earring? And they're like, yeah, okay. Oh. So then he gets an earring for work, and then he's just like, well, I guess I have an earring now, mom and dad. <laughs> That's like going to your divorced parents and playing them off one another. <laughs> totally i just find it so charming i find stories like that so charming it seems like i don't know it seems like it would have been a good show to grow up on although i say that joe and have you been following do you follow sarah polly on twitter i do not okay so you should because this week she's been spilling some tea about what it was like to grow up on road to avonlea and apparently not at all wholesome i mean i'm not surprised i'll say that i'm a little surprised (laughs) (laughs) i'm a little surprised Wait, does this mean we're going to have to do a Road to Avonlea episode? I mean, yes. (laughs) Not my favorite, admittedly. (laughs) But now we have all the dirt, Joe. We could cross-reference it. I guess so, yes. We'll do a historical deep dive into the shady sexual underpinnings of Road to Avonlea. (laughs) Oh, I wonder if we could get Sarah Polly as a guest. Okay, now I'm just blue-skying. All right. (laughs) Okay, I'm on board. I'm back with that. Yes, I would love to talk to Sarah Polly. Sarah, can you She's hear amazing. Me? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, I sh- we should stop there because I really could talk about this all day, but I am so genuinely glad you enjoyed watching it. Yeah, it was a lot more fun. And I think part of it is that you can't go into it with the mindset that it's just going to be some silly kid show because it's actually doing quite a bit more than that. Like I was not giving yeah. it the proper credit. Yeah, you know, it's lasted a long time and it's lasted a long time, I think, because for multiple generations now it's really spoken to kids and like I don't love the way the next generation is quite a bit glossier and quite a bit faster than the old school version but Mm -hmm. you know you also can't argue with 14 plus seasons I think there's a sense that this way of talking to kids straightforwardly seriously about the really garbage stuff they have to deal with 
mm-hmm. but managing to maintain a sense of humor about life in general, I think it works. I think it people respond to it. Yeah, and I think it's nice that there's room for small stories and big stories. Mm-hmm. Like too often in YA, because you only get one kick at the can, it has to be everything right like i'm thinking of the sun is also a star where it's like we can't just have a romance between these two kids we have to have one of them being deported (laughs) one of them maybe not going to college (laughs) whereas on degrassi like you could tell both of those stories in equal measure and both would have a place it's actually why i wanted to send you the it creeps episode because i wanted you to have one that was really just sort of it checks in in the b plot line with some of the bigger stories but it's actually just a kind of fun main plot Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's funny to see that and then see things like Dawson's Creek do the exact <laughs> same thing roughly eight or nine years later. Right? Yeah, I know. Also, Lucy is great, and I loved her, and I was basically like, Lucy, I'm the same as you. <laughs> you know what's fun? In Degrassi, the next generation, you find out she grew up to be a documentary filmmaker. Yes. <laughs> of course, she'd become a documentary filmmaker. <laughs> Ladies and features? Fiction? No. Go back to the documentary realm. Thank you. (laughs) Good point, Uh, Joe. Um, Okay, next week, I actually remember this, Joe. Okay. Next week, we are going to be reading All the Bright Places. Yes, it's actually the debut of book three. So this is going to be the end of our second season. (gasps) We're not taking any time off. No, we didn't actually think we should take some time off at this ridiculous time of year when we're both extremely stressed. Yeah, but we are using it as an outlet to get away from work, and that's why we continue to do it. It's true. We talked about taking a break, but I would miss it too much. Yeah, and honestly, we've got some great episodes lined up as we head into book Mm -hmm. three. You know, as we inch closer to October, I'm going to make Brenna do some scary slash horror-y stuff. It's going to be lots of fun. But next week, all the bright places. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes next week all the bright places a couple of people have asked us to uh look in on this one because of course the netflix movie just dropped earlier this year mm-hmm. i'm looking forward to it i've read the book now and i have not watched the film yet but i really enjoyed the book i am interested to hear what you think about it yeah i've been mostly enjoying the book i'm very excited to see the film because i actually think that l fanning is a perfect casting choice for mm-hmm. this yeah strong agree Okay, well, we will be back next week then for that. We sure will. In the meantime, if you want to share your Degrassi memories with Joe, Joe, where do they find you? I am at B Stole My Remote, and that's the letter B. And I'm at Brenna C. Gray. That's Gray with an A. If you want to get both of us, it's hashtag HKHSPod on the Twitters. And if you've got anything longer, particularly open to those great episode suggestions or suggestions for what we should be reading, HKHSPod at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. I was going to say we should play YA Bingo, but I feel like Degrassi invented YA Bingo and it wins every time. Yes. Yeah. There's no <laughs> way that Degrassi doesn't come out a winner, baby. <laughs> so until next time, I'll see you on the page. And I will see you on the screen. That was my impersonation of you. I didn't like it. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> bye bye. Hey. Hey.